from Earth, it's Space Radio. This is Paul Sutter, and coming up, we're talking about watch out, satellites are... And of course, taking listener questions about all things in this beautiful universe. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, and you can follow along or leave a voicemail. Go to spaceradioshow.com for all the links. And in today's Blue Shift, I'll be talking about a cruise to remember. But first, the news... Hello, space cadets. Welcome to Space Radio. I'm Paul Sutter, astrophysicist at Stony Brook University and the Flatiron Institute. And for the next half hour, your agent to his stars. We've got a beautiful show for you today where we talk about all the exciting, interesting, fascinating, and curious things happening in our universe. This show lives on listener questions. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern here at Spaceman Studios in New York City. So leave a voicemail at spaceradioshow.com to get yourself on the air. You can also follow along with our space cadets tuning in live on Twitch and YouTube from around the world, including but not limited to Chicago, Plattsburgh, New York, Los Angeles, California, Washington State, Ashburn, New Zealand, Southend, Essex, UK, Mountain View, California, South End on Sea. Is that in Middle Earth? I don't know. Howell, New Jersey, Montana, Lakeland, Florida, Washington, D.C., Austin, Texas, and Dumas, Mississippi. Perhaps that is pronounced Dumas. Either way, there is a space cadet there tuning in live. You can join them. Check out spaceradioshow.com for the link. Seriously, folks, I've prepped basically no material for this show. Can you help me out? Can you help me out? Before I start taking questions, I want to share some interesting bits of news I caught recently. And speaking of tiny bits of things in space, oh my gosh, satellites almost crashed into each other above Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania last night. It was hilarious. I mean, it was also scary, and the thought of this actually happening is very frightening, which is why we're talking about it. It's also funny. Here's the thing. There's a lot of space. Okay, that's why we call it space, because there's a lot of it. And in orbit around the Earth, there's gobs of space. Like, you you, you think of a lot of space, and space has more than that. Okay, it has more than you can imagine. And our spacecraft are, like, tens of feet across, no more than, like, one or 200 feet across at the longest. And so you've got tiny little things buzzing like flies in this great expanse of volume around the Earth. But certain orbits are more precious than the others. Certain orbits are more important than each other. And it's starting to get a little crowded up there. It's starting to get a little crowded up there. And nobody's in charge. There's no traffic management system. There's no air traffic control. There's no global authority or like solar system police that are keeping an orbit line. No, it's just a bunch of organizations all around the world kind of sort of paying attention to where everyone else is putting up satellites and trusting everybody else to not put up satellites or move satellites in a way that might cause a collision. But what happens when you launch a satellite like in the 80s or 90s and then it goes out, it runs out of fuel or its components break down and you're not doing anything with it anymore and no one's paying attention to it, it's just orbiting the earth dumbly like a piece of rock. 
and you maybe you lose track of it and that's exactly what happened we had nasa's defunct infrared space telescope iras iras on a potential collision course with an old air force satellite that was doing some gravity density measurements of the earth and there they were there they were about to crash into each other last night like 600 miles above pittsburgh now it was a small chance it was less than a 1% chance of actually interacting. We couldn't get a better number on that because it's actually really hard to predict the motions of satellites to within a few, like within 10 feet, which is what we're talking about. They didn't collide and, and it like, they likely never will. But if they did, it would have been a disaster because this collision, remember they're going tens of thousands of miles per hour each and then they slam into each other and they send pieces flying all over the place. It's that shotgun effect. Now, instead of two big rocks, you have a gajillion tiny rocks that can go on and possibly impact other satellites, which will cause them to break apart. And then you get more debris, which impact more satellites and then more debris. And then before you know it, the orbit of the Earth is a wasteland. Yeah, the chances of it happening are pretty small, but it's not zero. And it's getting worse because we're not just putting up a few satellites now with these whole uh, global internet communication satellite things. We're putting up hundreds and thousands of satellites every single year, which is, man, it's going to be tough. Don't go to space. It's just, it's just rough up there. That's the latest and greatest. Maybe it's not so great, but it is the latest when it comes to space. It's time to answer some questions. We have so many questions ready to go. The space cadets are going nuts, which is just the way I like them asking questions like crazy. And we talked about satellites crashing I want to be clear, the satellites did not actually crash into each other. It is only a matter of time, okay? It is only a matter of time. I swear, it's just going to happen. It's just going to happen one of these days, and we're going to have to deal with it. But we've got some questions. Curiously, a bunch of space cadets are very curious about the death of the universe. Wow, let's just go right there. Let's just talk about the end of all the things, because... What a better way to end January. Cosmic on YouTube is asking, do I agree with the heat death end of the universe? So if you've ever heard of this concept, the heat death of the universe, it's more like the death of heat in our universe. Our universe is expanding. Our universe is getting bigger every single day. There's only so much stuff in the universe, and so it's getting thinner and thinner. There's only so many opportunities to turn that stuff into heat differences, turn that heat differences into energy, get work done, and do useful things like have waterfalls and consciousness. As the universe continues to age, all the stuff gets further and further apart. It gets more and more spread out and heat differences start to equalize. The hot things aren't going to stay hot forever. The cold things are just going to keep on being cold and it will just keep dropping and dropping and dropping. So the overall average temperature of the universe will drop and any heat differences will slowly fade away. This is the 
what we believe to be the ultimate long-term fate of our universe. We call it the heat death of the universe. It is, as far as we can tell, that will be the fate of the universe. Our universe is expanding. It is accelerating in its expansion. It's not going anywhere smaller anytime soon. It just keeps getting bigger. Unless that changes, and it changes in a really big way, the next like 100 billion years, that will be our fate. Now, it's going to take a long time to reach this heat death state. I'm talking like 10 to 100 years but it's going to come unless something changes. That is the the default option for the universe right now. But there is an alternative, and then another space cadet has asked a question. Orson Zed over on YouTube is asking about the so-called big rip scenario, and if it's strong enough to rip apart gluons, like if it's it's if it's strong enough to rip apart quarks, like if you take a proton, can you actually rip it apart? Here's the thing with this so-called big rip scenario, which is an alternative uh, possible fate for our universe, and it has to do with the nature of dark energy. I mentioned that our universe is getting bigger. Well, it's actually getting bigger and bigger, faster and faster every single day. So we call this dark energy. It's an absurd fact of our universe. We don't really understand it at all. We just know that it's here and it's not going away. It could be, as far as we can tell, dark energy is constant. It hasn't changed strength over the course of cosmic history and it's not looking like it's going to change strength. But there is a possibility that dark energy will get stronger with time. And then in the future, it'll be even stronger and then even stronger and then even stronger. And you know where this is going. Where not just the universe is accelerated expansion, but eventually galaxies get ripped apart. And then solar systems and then planets and then you and then atoms and then protons. And yes, this uncontrolled expansion, something we call the Big Rip, is strong enough to rip apart protons, the very constituents of matter. We don't know if we live in a Big Rip universe. The evidence is it's a, too uncertain to tell right now. We suspect for various reasons, maybe just to help us sleep at night, that dark energy is going to stay constant and that the universe will not go in this scenario. If it does, it will manifest in about 5 billion years, which sounds like far away, but it's that would mean we're past the middle age of our universe. We're already in the retirement phase, and that's kind of a scary thought to think about. So what better way to lead into a break than to contemplate the ultimate end of everything you know and love and everything you don't know in love, the end of it all. Why don't you meditate on that during the break and then we'll pick it back up with hopefully some more cheerful topics or not because the space cadets are in control. I'm Paul Sutter and this is Space Radio. This show is brought to you by you. Please go to patreon.com slash pmsutter to learn how you can keep this show going. I truly do appreciate it, and I'll see you after the break. Support for Space Radio on 90.5 WCBE comes from Thompson Hine, a business law firm serving clients for more than a century. 
Thompson Hine provides innovative client service through SmartPath, a smarter way to work. Predictable, efficient, and aligned with client goals. More information about the firm at ThompsonHine.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. We've got a space cadet calling in via voicemail. Greg, are you ready? Because I'm ready. I don't know if you're ready. Are you ready? Well, if you're ready, then play the tape. Hello, my name is Abdullah. I would like... um to know uh, how can I start learning um, cosmology because I don't know where to start, to be honest. So I would really love to know where to start and also what books would be good to read uh, and help me through my path. Thank you. Abdullah, this is a wonderful question. I get this question a lot of people who are curious or interested in astronomy or astrophysics or cosmology and and exactly where to go. Like, of course, there's the popular books or popular side books uh, like Your Place in the Universe, the, the, the book I wrote on cosmology. That's the pop side books are an excellent place to start. And here's what you do. Here is your very next step. I already did all the work for you, Abdullah. If you're interested in cosmology, pick up a copy of Your Place in the Universe or a book like it. It doesn't have to be my book. I would just kind of appreciate it. But it doesn't have to be. We can still be friends. Then I want you to go to the end. I, I want you to read through it. But at the very end, read the notes, read the citations, read the works cited, read the bibliography. I cited in that bibliography more pop side books by other cosmologists, other astrophysicists, and also some more lecture style books, uh, references online, online articles and resources going beyond just say Wikipedia entries. And if you are doing one of those deep dives into one of those resources and it's getting a little too confusing, you can always pull back to the PopSci book or the PopSci references in the book uh, to get a gain a little bit better understanding of the big picture and then dive back into the more technical details. So I suggest that's exactly what you do. If you're interested in cosmology, start with a PopSci book like mine or not, it's okay, I swear it, and then look at the references and the citations, and that will be a very, very fruitful next step. Excellent question, Abdul, and we do have another voicemail. Greg, do you want to do it? Do ya? Do ya? Well, then play the tape, Greg. What are you waiting for? Hello, Paul. Calling from a park in Bucharest, Romania. My question is related to Kalam cosmological argument where it stated that there is no actual infinity because the infinite uh, regression problem. What is your opinion about this and how to respond to someone who will present me this argument? Oh, this is such a fun question, whether you're in Bucharest, Romania or anywhere else, when you're faced with cosmology and the Big Bang picture of the universe. Earlier in the episode, in today's episode, we talked about the end of the universe, but now we're switching gears to the beginning. And back in the day, our universe used to be a lot smaller and a lot hotter. And you keep rewinding the clock 
earlier and earlier and earlier and our universe gets even smaller and even hotter, even smaller and even hotter and even denser. We know with a significant amount of evidence that 13.8 billion years ago, our entire universe was the size of a peach and at a temperature of over a quadrillion degrees. We can back that up with observations. But if you push that back further, then it tells you that at one point the universe was infinitely tiny. Infinitely tiny. It was a singularity. But we know this is wrong. The standard Big Bang picture tells us that at one point our universe was infinitely small, but we know that the standard Big Bang picture is breaking down there. That the mathematics that we're using to describe the early universe aren't up to the task of explaining the very first instance of the universe. And so we know we need something else. What do we need? Well, we need a theory of quantum gravity or unified physics. We don't have that. Don't listen to those people who are promoting that string theory stuff. They say they have an ultimate unified theory, but they don't. And if you're curious about that, I'm doing a very long series on the nature of string theory in my Ask a Spaceman podcast. So feel free to dig into that. Multiple episodes digging into string theory. We don't have an ultimate theory of unified physics or quantum gravity. We have no way of describing the earliest moments in our universe. And that is a fact. From there, we got the physics. We can understand it. We can make predictions. We can do all the normal science-y stuff. But we don't understand the earliest moments. We don't understand the nature of that singularity. We know it's not a singularity. The universe was not infinitely dense. But we don't know what to replace it with. Very, very cool question. Swinging back from questions of the ultimate history and fate of the universe before we run out of time, Helios on YouTube is asking, why does Venus have an atmosphere without a magnetosphere to protect it? So here's the thing. Here's, here's where Helios is talking about. And Helios is presumably the sun, and it's all the sun's fault. The Earth has an atmosphere. We also have a very strong magnetic field. The sun is constantly streaming out charged particles that we call the solar wind. If we were to turn off our magnetic field over the course of like 100 million years, the solar wind would just blow our atmosphere away like, like you blown on a dandelion. It's just gone. We suspect this is what happened to Mars over 3 billion years ago, that its core cooled down, it shut off its magnetic field, and then its atmosphere got blown away. Venus doesn't have a way of generating strong magnetic fields, and yet it has a ridiculously thick atmosphere. Why hasn't Venus's atmosphere blown away? Two reasons. One, there is some complicated physics happening in the upper reaches of Venus's atmosphere, where some charged particles are getting created through friction, and they're moving in just the right way, and they're generating a weak magnetic field. It's not like the same scale as the Earth's, but it's not nothing. And it's suspected this might be strong enough to deflect at least some of the solar wind, protecting Venus's atmosphere. The second thing is, Venus's atmosphere is ridiculously thick. 
there is so much. There's the Venus went haywire. It went catastrophic greenhouse a few billion years ago. It turned itself inside out. It dumped so much material into its own atmosphere through volcanic activity that it's starting from a lot, right? If you already weigh a thousand pounds and you go on a diet, it's going to take you a while to get your BMI down. All right. If you're only 170 pounds, it's not going to take that long. All right. To lose weight. Unfortunately, that is all the time I have this week. Man, this show goes by so fast. We're almost out of time. But before we go, let's do the blue shift. I'm Paul Sutter and you're listening to Space Radio. And this is the blue shift. My opportunity to get a little bit closer to you. And if you want to get really close to me, like not just in the same building, in the same auditorium, I'm talking about in the same room as me. And let's kick it up a notch. Not just a room for like a day. How about the same room or the same set of rooms for like a week or two weeks in a boat in the middle of the ocean? I don't know. That sounds like a lot of fun to me. And there are two opportunities coming up. One is an Astro Tour. We are doing a cruise out of Galveston, Texas this August. We're going to visit Johnson Space Center. And then we're going to get on a ship. And we're going to go down to Mexico and Belize and Honduras. And we're going to check out some Mayan ruins. And check out how the Mayans did astronomy. And I did this trip a couple years ago. It was so much fun. The ruins are fascinating. And the Mayans were excellent astronomers. They developed a calendar that was more accurate than the Europeans or anyone else in the world could do until like the 1800s. That was very impressive. And they also worshipped chocolate as a deity in the sky, which is, which is okay, you know what, I'm, I'm right there with them. So we check out Mayan ruins, we see how they did astronomy, then we go on the ship, we do stargazing every night. If you're interested, go to astro.tours. That's astro.tours. And they'll have a link for the Sea and the Stars expedition. That's this August. The registration deadline is March. Now, if you can't go on that one or don't want to go on that one, it's fine. Don't, trust me, we can still be friends. It's the same as if you never buy my book. It's all right. But I'm going on another cruise, this time in November of 2021. So we've got a year and a half to plan for this. This is a three-week expedition. I'm not joking. It's a three-week expedition to the Falkland Islands, to South Georgia, and to Antarctica. That's right. November 2021. We're going to go for three weeks to the Southern Hemisphere. We are going to do expeditions to Antarctica. And the reason we're going, the reason I'm going, there is a total solar eclipse. So imagine this. You're on a ship, an expedition to the south, southern ocean around Antarctica. You're going to get to have a perfect view of a total solar eclipse. And I will be on the ship being your guide for the whole time. That is going to be something else. And unfortunately, this broadcast is almost done. Thank you for joining me on this voyage of space radio. Once again, I'm Paul Sutter, and this show is brought to you by you. Go to patreon.com slash pmsutter 
to learn how you can contribute. Thanks to Greg Mobius for producing, Nancy Graziano for wrangling the space cadets and all the fine crew at WCBE Radio 90.5 FM in Columbus for making this show possible. Catch the live stream every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Go to spaceradioshow.com for links to the live stream locations, place where you can leave a voicemail. You can also follow me directly on social media on all channels. My name is at Paul Matt Sutter. And of course, thanks again, Space Cadets, for listening. See you next week. And remember, science is for sharing. End of transmission.